0: Alchemy Radio, Alchemy Radio, Alchemy
1: Radio, Analyze, Conceive, Clear. The, the open mind. Thank you for tuning in. Hopefully you enjoy the show and the variety of eye and ear opening guests that we bring to you as regularly as we possibly can. We're currently free, completely non-profit and available on demand from alchemyradio.net and iTunes. And our listenership is increasing all the time, which brings its own problems. The main one being that we can't actually afford to bring you as many shows as we would like because of the costs and bandwidth restrictions that are involved there. So as a result, we have a donate button on our website and anything that you can afford to donate is gratefully accepted. As we say, it's completely non-profit. It all goes back into the show. And basically, depending on the amount of money that we get in during the month, the more shows we're able to bring to you. So that's kind of the way it works. As I said, the donate button is on the website and all support and assistance is hugely appreciated. Check us out on Facebook and Twitter as well, get following and interacting with us. All your feedback and guest suggestions and other input are extremely well received. So, on to the show. This week's guest is Thomas Sheridan. Thomas has been on the show before. He's an author, artist, musician, satirist and independent researcher, probably best known for his book Puzzling People, The Labyrinth of the Psychopath, along with his writings on socio-cultural engineering, propaganda and much else besides. We've quite a lot of varied stuff that we're going to talk about on the show this week. So why don't we delve straight into the conversation? Thomas, it's great to have you back on Alchemy. How are things?
2: Uh, Likewise, John. It's great to be back talking to you. I can't complain. Everything's ticking along nicely. I have a new book out. It's getting a lot of good reviews and attention. And I feel like I'm starting to finally make a real impact now. So I, I can't complain. The new book is actually Val Purgis Knight, volume one. The Anvil of the Psyche was last year. So do you want me to give you a brief synopsis of both? Go, for,
1: I, go for both your way ahead yeah, of me there. I,
2: They both came out since we last spoke. The Anvil of the Psyche is a book about social engineering through culture, media, and mm-hmm. art and symbolism. Done from the point of view of me blowing the whistle of what what was what i was schooled and trained in when i worked as a communications consultant back in wall street so i was basically schooled in the art and engineering of basically lying to people through graphics and through financial data and so it blows the lid on that it also talks about like symbolism and music it goes into what was done to john lennon the first assassination of john lennon john lennon the first one that actually took him down not the, not the second one that we all know about with mark chaplin but it goes into that as well i speculate on mark chaplin being a and he basically a, you know controlled by this by the intelligence services and there was it was a very suspicious movements that day in new york and various sort of things like erotomania being cultivated by Hollywood. Erotomania is when women mainly, but it happens men too, become obsessed with a celebrity or a person of importance to the point where they actually think they're in a relationship with them. And then I finish up with like basically how the whole 2012, you know, Mayan thing was supposed to be some kind of ascendancy into a new dimension for the new age people, and in reality, it just it just shattered people's uh, fate. In anything, so they were dependent on the control system. The new book, the the Night Volume One, is come out of a very deep in a look into the history of Germany and particularly the history of the German psyche, and what took place in this first volume on a particular weekend in Munich in 1919. On Valpurgis Night, which is the Witches' Sabbath, and then into May 1st, which is Beltane. Uh, basically, an incredible psyop was performed in that city that weekend, and it had cast a shadow all over Europe ever since. And it led to, it was a combination of what uh, various European occult societies and think tanks had basically been planning for a long time and had seized the opportunity. On top of that, there were some very real, and I know people may not believe this, but it's true occult forces working within Germany, such as the Thule Society, who are basically running a kind of a magical empire out of the the Four Seasons Hotel in downtown Munich, with the, with the, with the actual intention of generating a Germanic Christ, which actually happened a few weeks later when Adolf Hitler walked in the door. Now, it's very interesting stuff, but it was also, it was going on in arm as well, which I touch on in, in the book. The Golden Dawn were very instrumental in the in the Golden Dawn Magical Society, in Irish independence through Lady Gregory and William Butler Yeats. So it was an amazing time in history that's never really talked about. And I wanted to, basically, Balpurgis Knight revolves around the destruction of the German psyche and how it was used as a gigantic experiment which is going on today all over this world, particularly in the European Union.
1: Just as a slight footnote there, I notice uh, you mentioned the Four Seasons Hotels. Hotels seem to spring up time and time again when speaking about the elite and the global control system. I mean, this this attraction with big hotels, even in this techno age now, and it's when it's so easy to kind of communicate as we are over Skype at the moment, it doesn't matter where you are in the world. But uh, it's all about the hotels, isn't it? Or am I completely mad?
2: No, you're not. The the Hilton Hotel chain was a, I've stayed in quite a few Hiltons around Europe and a lot of them were built in the 60s. A lot of them were built for spying and, you know, all this kind of thing during the Cold War. Some of them are very sinister places, like the, the Hilton Hotel in uh, Brussels, not surprisingly, is a very sinister, like, 1960s-type hotel. The Watergate Hotel in Washington, D.C., the PSYOP that led to the, the collapse of the Nixon administration. Uh, the What's the one, the hotel up in Belfast, the Europa? Yeah, yeah. You know, it, it goes on and on and on. These hotels are all true. You read the, the book Spycatcher by... I can't remember the guy's name, a famous book from the 1980s that was banned by Thatcher. It, it talks all about what goes on in hotels. Hotels are almost like uh, they're none of this reality. Uh, when, when you rent a hotel room, it's almost like you've gone into an altered state of reality outside the matrix. And that's why I think they, they pick it a lot. It belongs to nobody. You know, It belongs to the hotel company. But it doesn't belong to the people who actually are in there. And hotels are very interesting. There's almost like an occult an occult uh, aspect to hotels which has yet to be explored but it is real
1: yeah and that book, Spike catcher very very interesting read for anyone who's interested it's peter wright who is the uh former the one. mi6 yep. sister i think paul greengrass had something to do with that as well um, yeah who many people will know from the hollywood movie business but uh, the books have been really well received of course and they've led to uh, well i suppose a number of different tangents for you as well and you've You've managed to tie, in many of the interviews I've heard you speak on recently, Thomas, you've managed to tie all these seemingly different pieces of the puzzle together for the first time. And uh, one very, very interesting one for me, and it's one I've been kind of observing and had suspicions about for quite a while, but you really crystallized it for me, was the Russell Brand PSYOP. Now, I know when the name Russell Brand is mentioned, people are going to scream at us and they're going to say, but I mean, he's the messiah, he's the hero, he's this, that and the other. Let's talk about him for a little while and the purple pill, as you call it. What's the significance of Russell Brand in the whole control system as you see it?
2: He's the Pied Piper of the alternative movement to swing people who are just waking up back into the control system. That's his purpose. They began it in two... See, here's an interesting one. In 2012, we heard a lot of sort of like stuff within the alternative movement, conspiracy movement, that there was going to be a false flag take place at the London Olympics in 2012 at the opening ceremony. And there was all kinds of like nonsense thrown out there about a bomb, a nuke would go off or a, an alien invasion would happen and so forth. Well, the PSYOP did indeed happen. If The PSYAP was Russell Brand coming out on a purple bus with a purple spotlight on him with a purple logo behind the of the Olympic logo behind them, bathed in purple light on the magic mystery tour bus to take you away. And I, I, at the time I just brushed it off. I don't know why it stayed in my subconscious, but I just thought it was a really strange scene. <laughs> him as kind of like the, the child catcher in uh, a yeah. chitty, chitty <laughs> And excuse me. <clears throat> and, uh, so, you know that kind of stayed in my consciousness, and then he came along. He came along, and he started to become kind of politically active. I can remember there was an article appeared about Margaret Thatcher's death in the in the G- Guardian, and I said, "Oh, that's kind of interesting." So on and so on, and uh, I was still I was observing. And I said, "Why is this guy, who basically is an unfunny comedian, uh, being pushed into all this stuff out of the blue?" And so then the Jimmy Savile thing kind of took me over, and you know, and I really became qu- almost like an old-fashioned. Well, I did became an old-fashioned and investigative journalism journalist. I even went to sp- spots in England, like Hepton Bridge, where I believe Savile actually murdered a 14 year fourteen-year-old girl and um, threw her body in the canal. And I became quite convinced that Savile was a serial killer. And, th- I, and and I saw rumblings within the media. That were kind of pointing in this direction as the depravity of Savile came out more and more, but I'm very piecemeal and all about paedophilia. And I said to myself, you know, they're going to create a false flag to distract from this. Mm. Now I I said, but it's not in my head. I said it's not going to be, it's not going to be a bomb or or a virus or anything like that. It's going to be a false flag of the psyche of the mind. And then the Russell Brand appearance on Newsnight. That was it. As soon as it happened, I knew that was it. So I wasn't that, you know, I wasn't that sort of caught up in it or that particularly, you know, keen on comment commenting on about it. And I had written an article before I went to bed that night called "Russell Brand isn't waking you up; he's putting you back to sleep." And I went to bed, and when I went up <laughs> the next morning, my phone was ringing off the hook. <laughs> my website had crashed from hits. And basically, everyone my email explode. Where everybody's saying, "Thomas, you know that everyone's talking about you. You're suddenly like public enemy number one." Yeah, how dare and, you! I know. And I went on to my comments on the on the article, and my God, I I have been on the the receiving end of some abuse in my life. But I, I I say some of this, not all of it. A lot of it was kind of like shock and dismay. Thomas, I used to think you're a really good guy. Why could you turn on Russ? And this kind of thing, and well, some of them were psychotic to the point where they were quite frightening. We we're talking about like Mark Chapman level, like of it. I've actually saved these comments for that reason. Mark Chapman level of sort of like crazed celebrity worship, and so that was kind of freak, not freaking me out, but puzzling me because I couldn't really understand what the the hype was about. And then I had like James Corbett doing a special defending me on on his show, and you know, the other James, and that was quite nice. And then uh, Red eyes swung in behind me and threw their – they nailed their colors firmly to the mast to 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 uh, to kind of, like, back me up. So suddenly I had, like, some people. I was – from one minute I was, you know, thrown to the lions. You know, I didn't even mean it. To the next minute having all this – because I was in the middle of a kind of a war, a big war. And then I said – Fuck it! That's exactly what they're doing. This is what they want. They want to destroy the alternative movement, split it down the middle, you know, and and then get all the people back into not the red pill, not the blue pill, but the purple pill. And then I start thinking about why why is Russell Brand and purple coming to my head? And then I remembered that picture of him. From at the London Olympics, on top of a bus, unbated in purple light, you know, singing the song from Willy Wonka, a world of pure, you know, come with me into a world of pure imagination. Mm. And I said, that's it. That's definitely the PSYOP. We're in, we're definitely through the looking glass here. The alternative movement has been carefully examined by the the, the London School of Economics, the Cambridge Political Science Think Tanks, and all the usuals, the Fabians. And then when I found out, and I didn't really know at the time that his girlfriend was Jenna Cam, Jemima Khan, who was born a goldsmith, Goldsmiths being one of the biggest banking. Fa- she's a billionaire. Uh, banking families were in the city of London. She's also involved in the New Statesman magazine, which is the Fabian think tank. The her family, the Goldsmiths, were heavily involved in the South African, you know, apartheid, the diamonds and everything. And here I am. Here he is on 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 Newsnight saying that we sh- we have to punish the bankers, and yet he's. He's surrounded by bankers. He's surrounded by Rothschilds and goldsmiths in his personal life. I knew right there and then, especially when the new the new Statesman article came out, that it was a it was it was the old the old left the old left who traditionally would have appealed to people in what we call the woken up community mm. wanted them all back in, and so. That's their idea was to create this psyop of this kind of guy who has a little bit of spiritual bullshit and all kinds of, you know, a twee kind of understanding of socio-political commentaries. And, you know, who doesn't actually say anything meaningful about the really deep and hard shit like 9-11, GMOs or fluoride or any of that stuff. Uh, but, but, but has a kind of, you know, we go against the bankers and we go against Fox television and all this kind of thing looking very much like a Jesus Christ figure. Which was very interesting to me because he was definitely playing on that Christ-like uh, Dionysian archetype, which uh, is a spellbinding, you know, effect on on Western Euro- Western people. And so I knew it I, right there and then. I, I had no doubt that the whole thing was a psyop. And and you know, thankfully, since then, you know, here you want to hear something amazing. On the day I published that article, I lost nearly 100 people from my Facebook friends list. Nearly a hundred people who call themselves truthers and awake and mm. they make fun of sheeple and all this kind of thing because they were all they were all caught up in the messianic hysteria of the of the messiah complex of Russell Brand and were swallowing the purple pill wholesale. We're joining Facebook groups that were called, you know, Russell Brand for Prime Minister, even though he said no, don't, no one should vote, and here they are. And these were all set up by the usual lefty groups like the Socialist Workers Party and all this, this crowd. And articles were appearing, you know, praising Russell Brand as an instinctual communist, right? And then truthers who were claiming that they were a get away from all that stuff, sharing these articles about Errol Russ, you know, and openly pushing Bolshevism from, you know, British universities and academics and that was it that's what basically what happened since then thankfully a bit of sanity has come in and quite a lot of people have come to see that i was actually right even though i wasn't on a crusade but it was it was a surreal moment and i don't know whether i kind of like tore the wheels off his a uh, movement if i if i did i didn't really mean it to begin with and uh, but if it happened i'm glad it happened and i'm proud of it and you should go back to hollywood make films you know bang models and bang TV stars and and leave the rest of us to take care of the world because he's not up for the job.
1: It was quite amazing, though, because it threatened to create a schism within the alternative movement. And as you say, your Facebook page lost 100 people overnight. Just, I mean, people who would have considered themselves, and I'm not a huge fan of the term, but awakened, you know. And that schism... Divided, and I mean, we all know about divide and conquer and what that's there for and how it works, but it it almost managed to achieve that very, very quickly. It was almost an overnight effect, and when I saw the backlash from the likes of yourself and Red Ice and James Corbett, people like that, I thought, do you know what? It's all making sense, and thank God it's making sense quickly, because that could have snowballed out of control very, very quickly, because... Russell Brand, there's no doubting how charismatic he is, how appealing he is to the common person, to you or I, or whoever it might be. And there is that messianic archetype, as you mentioned as well. Tell us a little bit more about that, because that's something that preys very, very covertly and strongly on the subconscious. And it's something that a lot of people mightn't have come across before. The The whole Jesus image.
2: Oh, the Jesus image is very – now, it's not the Jesus image of probably how – if there was a Jesus guy, how he looked. Yeah, yeah. He probably would have looked more like Bin Laden or something <laughs> if he really existed. But the Jesus image of Hollywood. Exactly. That was the very first movie from the 1960s, The King of Kings. The, the long hair, the beard, the white guy uh, appeared on all the pictures and icons from the Victorian era on – when the actual, the, the British Israelite movement, who were cause a lot of problems in the Middle East today, these fundamental Presbyterians declared that Jesus, and Jesus Christ was actually a white man, like uh, Chamberlain did in Germany. And so that, that that Dionysian look they played on, the bearded womanly man, that's, you know, he's kind of soft, he's not a hard ass. He says, you know, he's a soft guy. Mm. He's kind of effeminate. And, you know, you, you know, he kind of like moves like a woman. And we've had that with like, you know, Jim Morrison. And we all know his father was a, a U.S. Admiral. Yeah. And he was out of the whole, you know, Laurel Canyon. Almost certainly he was a creation of the intelligence services. I would nearly bet money on it. You had everybody like that looking like that. And even Dennis Wilson and the Beach Boys looked like that. Even Paul McCartney looked like that. The, the 60s, the hippie movement was filled with Jesus Christ's and uh, the archetypes—these, these, these men who were not tough and not hard—and you, but you kind of like you were intoxicated by them. And if you look at the early images of the Dionysian cult, which was a huge cult in ancient Greece and Rome—a massive cult—if you look at the imagery on Greek and Etruscan. Uh, pottery you see you see you see Dionysus in his in his in his chariot which is like has like six wheels and it's really long being pulled by white horses so it's his it's his limo it's a stretched limo and behind him are you know, pe- women and men in a state of hysteria, following the Dionys, the actor playing Dionysus, going to the amphitheater. So it's a powerful, powerful archetype within the West. And Russell Brand plays the Jesus Dionysian archetype to the T. That's why he mentions Che Guevara, that mass murdering banker, in his talks and everything. Another one who played the the Dionysian Christ. Archetype, but even at the at his rally in London, the la- the rally they had in London, although the people behind them say it was to do with austerity, it was nothing to do with Russell Brand. Well, I'm sorry, you're wrong. It was everything to do with Russell Brand. The fact that the BBC refused to even cover it was not because Russell Brand is dangerous, yeah. but they were trying to make out that Russell Brand was somehow dangerous because the Fabians run the BBC. The the same people are like sharing the links, saying why didn't the BBC show that, that that Russell Brand? They're they're very quick to remember forget that. ITV and everyone else covered the bloody thing. Now the BBC deliberately did it because they're they're working for the London School of Economics and the Fabians they, they cultivate him as a dangerous figure. That's deliberately why they didn't cover it. And also they they create the hype that the BBC didn't cover Russell. Now when he was standing on stage, he changed a t. Te- he put a t-shirt on from a fireman or something, and he actually stopped with his shirt off and held his hands out and extended them like he was crucified. <laughs> and you can hear a collective gasp. From the crowd, uh, because they actually have been, you know, they're actually in a in a state of religious uh, no fever. That's really what's going on. Mm-hmm. And even the whole march through and the event, it was Jesus coming into Damascus, coming into Babylon. And it's, they know exactly what they're doing. These fellas are incredibly smart and incredibly clever, and you have to admire them for it. But we're getting cl- more clever and more smart in this scene, uh, you know, copping onto their scams as they're happening.
1: I think you're dead right. And one of the interesting things, again, about Russell Brandt, when you actually scratch between the surface and you don't have to do that much scratching to get below the surface, I think, what has he actually said? The only thing he's actually advocated is basically a a pseudo-communist, socialist, egalitarian system, which doesn't change anything per se. It's just a changing of the guard, if you like. It's this this whole kind of smoked salmon socialism um, that seems to appeal to a lot of people until they actually look at what it is. Do people really think that socialism is preferable to capitalism or what do they think? Because to my mind, none of it is preferable to any of it. It's all a load of bullshit. Well,
2: when I was younger, I actually felt that i sign up because I actually believed that because I was working class, that socialism is for the working class. Mm. It isn't. When you start looking at it, it's just a scientific system of controlling society. It's an economic system at the end of the day. That's why banks and big corporations love it. That's why the Nazis were called the National Socialists. Because all these massive companies like IG Farben and Krupp's and Bayer and Siemens, they all love the idea of having massive government contracts that they didn't have to bid on. So, you know, the government just provides the massive corporations with contracts uh, the banks are given contracts and they and they never have to worry about fighting for business from customers because they got a guaranteed contracts. And that's why these corporations love socialism. And uh, the same thing with governments. It's all run to a science. It's a very scientific thing. You know, how many people, old people, do we have to let die this year to free up room in hospitals? You know, anyone who's lived under socialism, and they'll tell you it's two things. It's either poverty, austerity, all the time, as it was in the UK on the socialism and a few other countries. Or it's just a crap way to live, as it was in Sweden. It's terribly boring. Life has no magic. It has no mystery. You live your life according to a plan. And that was another thing I noticed on Facebook. All these people were sharing these memes now from Denmark. I'm a Danish teacher. I make so much money and get so much days off a year. And like you, you go to Denmark and people in Denmark will tell you the same thing. It's like the bloody TED people recently saying that Ireland was like the best country in the world. Well, you tell it to most Irish people and <laughs> they laugh at you. Well, exactly. they're, they're, they're doing the same thing with Scandinavian socialism. The Scandinavians would laugh at you.
1: I think so. And for anyone who wants to delve a little bit deeper in there, um, Henrik and Red Ice have done a very good, interesting series on what it actually is like to be Scandinavian, to be in Scandinavia, and I suppose the uh, the wool that has been pulled over everybody's eyes globally with regard to the, uh, well, the, the social system that exists there, because it's certainly not all that it appears to be on the outside looking in.
2: Well, I go to Scandinavia a lot, especially Norway, on speaking tours and stuff, and you know, there was the big thing was that they were they, they had problems with alcohol, which they did. But when you see the people in Scandinavia, you now all the alcoholism problem has all been replaced by SSRIs. Well, you never hear about that.
1: What a lot of it comes back to, Thomas, um, maybe you'll agree with this, is dependence on the control system. I mean, if if you're involved in a control system, you need people to be dependent on you. That's where you get your control and your power from. And if people are getting a little bit antsy, as I think a lot of people have been over the last decade or maybe a little bit longer, and it is threatening to reach ahead, and hopefully it will, but What do you do? Well, I think you have to dress it up again and to keep people dependent on the control system, offer some kind of an alternative that eventually gets you back to the same point. And I think that's essentially what Russell Brand has been advocating. Let's just change things ever so slightly. You can all follow me instead of the big bad bankers. And you won't even notice that you're returned to the place from whence you started.
2: Precisely. Revolution back from where you came and it's, it's it's such an important point to stress all this because it's just it, – it, it, he says nothing new. He only tells the alternative people, the truth is what they already know, mm. right? And then they say things like, well, he's waking up the masses. No, he's not. The, the masses are not really – the ones who are following him from the masses are doing it because he's a famous celebrity. No mm. other reason. He could actually tell them that, you know – you, you know, you could actually tell them anything he wants and they would just go, yeah, 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 just say something because you're famous. So they forget that, that. People are intoxicated by celebrity and they don't really listen to what they say. And the other aspect is there's no change. He just wants to get back to where they were and he's serving the bankers and he's not, he's not doing anything. And here's an important one. They want you in the control system wants you to protest. Because when you protest down on government buildings and you say we demand this and we demand that, what you're really saying is, please, master, give us some more. Yeah. Give yeah. us Show us some extra crumbs. They and 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 and, the, and people think you know we're really giving up to them down at government buildings. Those politicians they're shitting themselves. They're looking down, going, great, we still have them. And the day when people don't protest say, screw you, and go off and form their own communities, their own lives, and do their own things. That is their greatest fear. And they were seeing that in the alternative movement. They saw that so many of us were forming our own little thing, moving away. We were talking about developing all kinds of, like, you know, you know independent communities. And this is what really scared the Bisto out of the control system, and particularly in the UK. And they said, we have to get them a Christ-like figure to bring them back into the fold. And they did it.
1: So, what then, Thomas, of those who might say, well, what's the alternative? Anarchy? We can't have anarchy. Anarchy is chaos. Says who? Which people? To me, what anarchy is, is, uh, is, is
2: faith in human decency. That's what anarchy is to me that I know that like most human beings, yet there are psychopaths and yet there are there are wankers and stuff like that who would be a problem in an anarchist society. But I ultimately think human decency would prevail that we would take care of the poor, the sick, the unemployed. We wouldn't need politicians, bureaucrats and civil servants to do it. We wouldn't have to vote for, on these people. We would simply be guided by human decency and the need to take care of others because we wouldn't have leaders. And that's what anarchy means to me. And that's me, is something. If you start doing it in your own life, you realize how powerful it is. Uh, people put like when you know when someone puts a you know you know when they start collecting rainwater, that's anarchy. Mm-hmm. When they start growing food and food, vegetables in their backyard that's anarchy. When they keep a few chickens, that's anarchy. You have to remember that's what anarchy is. It's just decoupling yourself from control. And you know, these days, if you want to be a real, a real pain in the ass to the system, don't be down at government buildings waving a placard or a red flag. Start a garden because that's where real, that's where real anarchy and real change begins at home.
1: You're so right. And I think the language is extremely important as well. If people examine the language, the, the anarchy and chaos, the uh, whole question of that, I think, is an example of a kind of Orwellian doublespeak. I mean, it reminds me of the way the term conspiracy theory has been completely bastardized, and the masses see that as a dirty word. Because there's nothing wrong with anarchy. Anarchy is a good, healthy thing. As you say, it's extricating yourself from control. Who doesn't want that? Isn't that the essence of freedom? Well, it is to me, certainly. Chaos is something else entirely, but to equate the two is completely incorrect. And I think that's what the mainstream media have been so skillfully doing over the last number of decades. They've been equating terms that are actually polar opposites. And people are believing that because they tune in every night to 6-1 News or whatever the hell it is uh, globally.
2: Yeah. Anarchy just means without rulers. That's what the translates as from the Greek. Anarchy from Archon. Archon is the Greek for lords or rulers. Without rulers. And democracy to me is just engineered chaos. That's all it is. It's nothing else.
1: Yeah. And uh, just, uh, we had local elections here in Ireland not so long ago. And um, having, personally, I come from an overtly political family and uh, if you go back oh dear <laughs> yeah I, I do and i would have grown up uh being somebody who thought right well voting should be compulsory you have to vote it's your civic duty etc etc i kind of cringe when i think back now however i'm glad i went through that process of thought i now believe and it is just my own personal opinion but i i believe that if you don't vote and if you deregister as i have done You're perfectly positioned if you want to give out about the democratic process or elected representatives. They don't represent me. So, of course, I'll give out to them if they claim to represent me. However, if I take part in that political process and vote, well, to be honest, I've given away my right to complain or to do something about it because I have willingly given my power to A, B, C or D, sitting in Leinster House in the case of Ireland. So, as someone who who comes from that background... It's come completely 180 for me. And I think that our democratic system, when looking at those local elections and everybody giving out and saying, well, this issue, that issue, the other issue, everybody gets up on a high horse for about two weeks or three weeks in the run up to it. And they say, right, well, I'm going to vote for such and such a person because they'll get rid of water meters or they're against all the bad people out there. And it's so ridiculous because then it's returned to the status quo two or three days after the elections and everybody considers that they've done their bit and it goes back to normal. And then for the next four or five years until the next election comes along, well, it's, we have to make the best of it. And there's this whole attitude, this this apathetic idea that exists in Ireland. It's almost like, it's like Huxley said, we sh- we should grow to love our slavery. I mean, the control system is in place and we've seen... The, the kind of 1984 scenario that we hear so much about have been put in place, and now we are being force-fed the lie that we should love this.
2: Yeah, before I was on the supermarket when I was in the super when the elections just before they were on the week before. I'm standing in a supermarket queue in the town where I live, and there's an older guy and a middle-aged guy in front of me. And the older guy says to the middle-aged guy, "Are you voting?" And very adamantly, almost as if he was going to fold his arms, he goes. Of course I'll vote. I've voted since I was 19, and I'll always vote. And then, like, I'm, I'm just sitting there thinking to myself, oh, my God, he's pretty, he's pretty hardcore about voting. Yeah. And then, without a hint of fecking irony, five minutes later, t- a minute later, never achieves anything.
1: <laughs> but he does it's it anyway shit. because of the dumb thing.
2: It's a powerful magic spell.
1: It is. And tell us a little bit about spells and magic, Thomas, because you're somebody who can shed quite a bit of light on that. And it's not something we've gone into in any great detail on this show before. But the power of words, the power of language. And I mean, I'm always fascinated by the word spelling. If you put a combination of letters together, you spell a word. No different from a magic spell. So tell me about your take on magic spells and how they have infiltrated the mainstream or our subconscious through the mainstream. Well, in
2: my younger days, uh, I I was very interested in the occult and in magic. And I wasn't a member of any, you know, I never joined any magic circles or groups or anything like that. But I did become very proficient in how magic works and what magic actually is. Magic is quite simply the nothing more than the art and science of causing change in conformity with will. That's all magic is. Now, that that could be anything from a carpenter who wants to build a table, and he designs on a piece of paper, and he takes it from the the non-material world, the world of And then brings it into the material world by cutting it and designing it and then doing the joinery work and making a table. That's an act of magic. And when you understand that, you realize how powerful it is because that table did not exist before. This interview we're having tonight, this is an act of magic. You have decided to interview me. That was your will. it, It was in conformity with your will. You spoke to me about it. The art part is is how good the interview is going to be both from me and you and the science part is the technology skype and you know your blog uh, your radio station and your and your podcast—that's the science part. Mm. In conformity with the will, the original will was for you to come on here and interview me. That's all magic is. Now you can take that to extreme lengths, and you can have rituals. But all the rituals do is they control and they focus the force of the will. In my new book Purge's Night*, I talk a lot about that. How Nazi rituals, were like the Nuremberg rallies, were about forcing the will of the German people into a into a spectacular almost like consciousness bullet and that's what magic is that's all it is now a magic spell is can be anything from a manifesto a political manifesto it can be a play it can be a satire to make fun of somebody it can be a piece of music that changes a person's emotions and makes them do something, like a love song that gets you a girl. That's an act of magic. If you write a song, a love song to a girl, or a poem, and, you, and she and she falls in love with you, you put her under the spell of your words, and that's what that is. And the French word "grimoire" is the origin uh, is, is the origin of grammar. And the same thing. It's a magical incantation, a charm whatever, and we're, this is used on us all the time, and the idea of this is, if you want to look at it scientifically, is it rewires our neural pathways into kind of feedback loops that we cannot escape from, so that man that was standing in the, uh, in the supermarket who said, of course I'll vote. And then said it doesn't change anything. Well, he's been spellbound, and that's it to to think that he has to vote, he must vote, and he will vote. Confirmation bias. And if you go into neuroscience, it has actually changed his brain, and he he can't get out of that. That's why we say that's why it's so hard to wake people up by grabbing them and saying, Listen, you've got to understand about GMO and fluoride. It doesn't happen that way. We have to use magic back. Like in Ireland, what Ashling she doesn't know, maybe she does, but Ashling Fitzgibbon who's doing The Girl Against Fluoride, the girl against fluoride is an act of magic. Mm. She's using magic to get to make the point about fluoride. Rather than, you know, making talking about her or going on, you know, do she's she's using her own their PR is that kind of a magic and that even I'm using magic in my work and you use magic when you're doing DJ and we all use magic but these, these these people at the top are very very they're the only ones who admit it they tell the rest of us that magic is not real or it's Harry Potter or some nonsense like that but they're using it on us all the time for instance corporate logos are sigils re, you know that's what a, a sigil is nothing more than It's You take all the – you say you have a word and you want a product or whatever, and you want to concentrate your will on that word or on the effect. So say you want to write down, I want to be a millionaire. You write that out. Then you remove all the vowels, all the repeating letters, and the letters that are left together, you then try to, under a state of extreme concentration, force them down into – into a into a graphical design that looks very much like electronic schematic. I've just published an article about that on my blog. And you force your will into that logo, and then you put that logo out there, and that what happens—that is—is that, is, is that it targets the subconscious of people, and that's what all these corporate logos are—from the McDonald's logo, and that's why they use the eye and the pyramid everywhere. These are all these are magical sigils and magical spells, and we are we are under the we are under the control of, of, of magicians. I know that sounds crazy to people, but that's what Edward Bernays, is, Sigmund. Freud's, Freud's grandson was, he was a great magician, that's what people like Richard Wagner was, who wrote those operas that changed the German consciousness he was a phenomenal musician, using sound he used stagecraft he used lighting techniques, when you go to a concert you're being spellbound you're being you're being magically changed the same in stand-up comedies ve- comedy is in an incredibly powerful form of magic, and so that's what magic is, the changing of the, the conformity of your will or my will, in Conformity in my in the, sorry the changing of of the bringing into reality of something in conformity with my will as an art and a science meaning that there's there's specific processes in order to achieve what you want in this magic and the art is how good how good you are at it. But some people are better at that than others. For instance, a really good music composer like Richard Wagner was very good at it, but someone who's not, an unknown composer wouldn't be. Simple as that. That's all it is.
1: Yeah, and I think you've condensed the whole idea there very, very well and quite eloquently as well. Personally, I'm fascinated by symbolism and would be quite familiar with what you speak of there. I've, I've always kind of looked at, for example, the eye in the pyramid and stuff like that. And a lot of people think, oh, it's the Illuminati, it's bad. And I, I'm of the belief, and maybe you'll have an opinion of this on this yourself, I've no doubt you will, Thomas, but I'm of the belief that it's not the symbols that are bad, it's the intent behind them and it's how they're used. I think there is a force, or as you say, a spell that can be cast. And I mean, if your intent is good, you've good witches, you've bad witches in mythology in folklore and in kids' stories as well, And I think so much of it is to do with the intent. And if your intent is positive, well, then you can use that power for good. It's all about what you want to do with something. But if you don't know what you're doing, well, then, of course, it becomes the remit of somebody else. And this seems to be an occult or hidden knowledge that has been passed down through aeons and aeons to a certain select few, i.e. those within the the power control structure or grade. And it has been kept from the rest of us. And I think it's only now that this information is starting to become available through the alternative media for the first time.
2: Well, people in the alternative media who say, or not media, but in the alternative movement, who say ooh, the the, the all-seeing eye I'm afraid of it, they don't look at it, it's bad, it's an evil symbol they've automatically fallen under the spell Mm. the ones who say screw it, it's just a a, a triangle with an eye in the middle they're the ones who have broken the spell and there's a reason why they use both the eye and both the triangle, they actually go to ancient magic, back to paleolithic times when our ancestors lived in caves and did cave art, the very first shapes ever drawn on walls, before they even drew animals were these things called neurological form constants phosphenes and that's why they went into caves and they, they went into dark places because when you're in a dark place for a long time you start seeing these shapes the triangle what we call the star of David the swastika the all see they start appearing in your in your in your field they're also, also called the effect is also called the the prisoner cinema because people held in confinement and darkened cells for long times start to see these shapes and they are very deep they're, they're produced by our brains without light which is very interesting when you think about it our, our brains actually have these archetypal forms deep inside them and that's why corporations and governments use the triangle and the eye all the time now it's the effect that you have on that how you respond to it is really helpful the magic works for instance when i see a swastika i don't go "Oh, oh, national socialism i'm aware the swastika was not only national socialism but it was also the vedic symbol of the sun Mm. you can see it all over the world in every kind of like artwork and design going back thousands of years there are even swastikas that look just like the nazi swastika on synagogues in ancient palestine that go back thousands of years a thousand years and then suddenly the swastika is not a problem. It's not dangerous. And that's what you have people have to learn to do. It's the it's how you apply your consciousness towards the symbol. If you're a vegetarian and you see the McDonald's logo, well you think to yourself, animal cruelty and terrible shit food. If you're if you're like a regular person and you see the McDonald's logo, you think, whoa, cheeseburger, I'll have one of them. It depends on how you've been you apply your own consciousness to the symbol.
1: Perception is a powerful, powerful thing, and it's even more powerful when someone knows how to control another person's.
2: Yeah. And then, uh, boy, they know us. They've spent hundreds, if not thousands, of years studying us. Well, especially going back to probably right back to ancient Babylon. They've been studying us like. Uh, like we 're lab rats, and they they're, they're having to modify it all the time because every so often we break the spell but yes're they 're very good at, it. and even before they knew what they, they knew about things like epigenetics and neurology and all those kinds of things they, they still knew. Even going back to ancient Babylon, that the color red had a certain effect on people, that a, mo- a face of a monster had a certain effect on a people, which became the precursor of the Gargoyle, the Babylonian water demons, and that people being shown something at night on torchlight, it had much more powerful effect on them and it would have in daytime if they saw it because they, they didn't know about things like serotonin and melatonin and dopamine and all these other hormones like norepinephrine mm. but they 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 knew it had effects on people so that's how long the stuff has been going along going going down
1: And speaking of gargoyles and things that are horrific, let's talk about Jimmy Savile there for a minute, because there are few people out there who are as knowledgeable about what has gone on with him. And it's amazing that the the uncovering or the partial uncovering of what went on with him came to light at the time that it did, because you were already entrenched in uh, quite a bit of research about Jimmy Savile and what he was up to. So let's talk about him for a little while, um, what you uncovered in your research and what you think he was really all about and why was it that Jimmy Savile, after his death, was suddenly cast into a light and why was he the guy who took the hit or the fall? Was it a cover-up? Or Let's just examine the various angles there with regard to him. Well,
2: fortunately... Because of my studies into psychopathology and also my knowledge of the cult, Jimmy Savile caught my attention very, very quickly on the Louis Theroux BBC special. Do you remember that show where yeah. Louis Theroux went around and stayed with celebrities for a few days? And there was a, an infamous one. If you haven't seen it, people have to go to YouTube and look it up. Well, where Louis Theroux yeah, spent time with Jimmy Savile uh, when he was an old man and went to his apartment in Leeds and then went up to Scarborough where his mother lives in that luxury apartment over the beach. And at the time I had, I was studying psychopathology and opened them up the, until the very recently, it was very difficult to get books on it. There was not a lot out there. And so for, uh, especially on nonviolent psychopaths. And that was the one that interested me because I was trying to figure out what these creatures I, I, I worked with at Wall Street were all about. And so I was mainly reading criminal profiles, books like, you know, Us from Evil by David Yallop, books like, um, in Pure Evil, I think it's called, by a guy called Maury, I can't remember, say something, I can't remember a second, hand, American guy, who covers the Son of Sam killings, books on the, uh, the Manson family, basically those kind of gruesome books, books on John serial killers like John List, and Ted Bundy, because they were, the best profiles of psychopaths, were unfortunately done of sp- violent psychopaths, but they were still good studies uh, by criminal psychologists and police detectives, so they were a, a goldmine of information for me. And so I knew a lot about how they had rituals and how they behaved and how they acted and how they returned to the scenes of the crimes. At the same time too, I was watching this pro this program at Louis Theroux and he said, uh, we were watching it and we were laughing, my friend and I were sitting there drinking tea or coffee and he shows Louis Thoreau his mother's clothes, that whom he called the Duchess, right? The Duchess. And I saw the clothes and the way they're all displayed in the uh, in her wardrobe in the apartment in Scarborough. And as soon as he showed them and the way they were all dry cleaned every year and, and folded, I said to my mate, he's a serial killer. My, my mate burst out laughing. I said, what, Jimmy Savile? And he's like, ah, now then, now then. Is a serial killer? I says, yeah, he's a serial killer. And their momentums, and I bet like half those dresses in there are not his mother's dresses. They're probably dresses belonging to women he's killed. And he laughed at me, but he says, you know, and I explained to him about how like Gundy and all the rest of them, and, and he said, you know, you do make an interesting point. And so I kind of, you know, I've been watching him like a hawk. You know, not directly, but he was an, a good kind of control specimen for me in the media to watch because mm. he was out there a lot. But unfortunately, he was appearing less and less on TV as my work was sort of coming to the fore in psychopathology. But anyway, I knew he was. I knew he had dark, dark secrets. And I think a lot of people kind of knew he was a non-serpedophile, but I knew it was even darker than that. So anyway, when the news broke, uh, I was reading a book, uh, rereading – my original copy, from that's how long I've been into this stuff, from 1982, right. uh, of David Yallop's Deliver Us From Evil. And I was reading about Sutcliffe, the Yorkshire Ripper. If anyone wants to figure, go look up that, they can. A guy called Peter Sutcliffe, the Yorkshire Ripper. And he, the guy, Yallop was saying that he was what we would call an embedded journalist at the time. He was actually in the South and West Yorkshire Police as they were trying to hunt down the killer, and he said there was deliberate chaos being engineered within the investigation. And he says the only reason they were doing this is they were trying to not have the Ripper found. And eventually they arrested Sutcliffe, and Yallop said that Sutcliffe was absolutely the Ripper on a, in, for a few of the killings, but there was some other accomplice with him, and this other accomplice was a high-profile. Person that there are maybe someone in the intelligence services or someone like that who was being protected, and that's why the police and the whole thing was thrown into chaos. And so I was starting to think. Now I don't know how I started to stitch Savile to it. I think it was when I found out that the that the corpse of Irene Richardson, one of the one of Sutcliffe's or the Rippers killers, was actually found literally in Savile's backyard. I'm not kidding you. And then another body was found on the grounds of the Royal Infirmary Hospital in Manchester, and see, even did call them the site Cy- the Yorkshire Ripper Society because some of the killings took place in Lancashire as well. And so I started to, to start. To, I said if, if Savile must have been involved, or it, so if anyone was involved in this, it was Savile. And I also knew Savile was a magician because all those terms he used, like jingle jangle. They're all magical spells. He has his magical chair on Jim will fix him. Abracadabra, all these are all magical spells. And he, he had the jewelry he wore looked like amulets to me. They didn't look like regular jewelry. And the, he obviously had a wand, which is his, was a his cigar. The, the focus as well a tremendous political power. And these people, and I can tell you for a fact that the British royal family are actually Germans, and, they, and all these German royalties are very, very connected into something I call black pexan, pexan paganism, mm-hmm. which is the black magic of Germany, and this permeates all the royal families and all the elites in Europe. And he was up there with them, and he, he had OBEs, MBEs, and a bloody knighthood while the investigation was going on. And then the Daily Mirror released a photograph of him Saville inside Broadmoor Prison with Sutcliffe, introducing him to the boxer, Frank Bruno, and I went, bingo, that's it, Saville was definitely an accomplice with, uh, with, with Sutcliffe, I, and I, I'd stake my reputation on it, and I still stake my reputation on it, and I didn't let this, I let this leak out very slowly over time. Uh, because I didn't want to bring it in there quickly, because I, it, you know, it was people were worrying about the paedophile thing, and quite rightly wanted to know about his connection to royalty, which is what we, which is a very powerful thing we need to work on, and also the politics why he had so much protection. So I didn't go in with the the stuff I knew about him early on, but I did. I had a radio show running there for a while on Type One Radio called The Velocity of Now on Sunday nights, yeah. and one night I did a special called. Jimmy Savile, the 666 killer. And in in the second era of that show, I outlined right in a total stream of consciousness that Jimmy Savile, and I showed how he was almost certainly involved in the Yorkshire Ripper killings. And... The show itself, if you look for it on YouTube, it has the most bizarre sounds in the background. In fact, whenever I mention his name, these weird kind of sounds appear and people have done analysis on it. The next day after I did the show, I lost all my internet. I called out the guy from from telecom air uh, from air he came out he took the internet box off the wall and the secretary inside the box was fried as if it had been hit by a strike of lightning so i definitely had you know people You know, i don't want, want to believe this folks but there is magical and dark and other kinds of forces in the world outside human forces that we don't that people don't know about but i definitely had touched on the the dark side of the of the the control grid and that they're the basically the the forces behind it are, I believe, are not actually human, uh, to a certain degree, and I, I, you know. But I, I'd really taken it down. The show instantly—it was the highest-rated show on the program that night. It actually blew open, blew open the the the, the program. It's the show got has got thousands of hits on YouTube, and it people suddenly were like, ah, you know, Thomas, it's a phenomenal piece of work you've done. but you haven't. You know, It, it was Savile really a serial killer, and in the weeks and months ever since, we've heard stories about Savile was involved in the murder of a child at one home. He was c- taking rings off corpses at Manchester Infirmary Hospital and Leeds General and making rings out of glass eyeballs. I don't believe they were the corpse. I believe he killed those people. Mm-hmm. And so on, and I believe the reason why he got away with it was because Savile was of a royalty, and that's why he called his mother the Duchess. She was almost certainly the bastard child of some royal, and it was it was a royal, it was a high up one. The Jimmy Savile is one of the darkest stories we will ever hear in our lives, and it's amazing that we're we're alive to hear about it. But it's it's real, I, and, and I know at. We have the, the, the media hasn't done it yet, but keep watching. In the months and years ahead, they will start leaking out that Jimmy Savile was a serial killer and they will start pinning him on the mortars, specifically of Arion Richardson in Leeds, that, uh, that was allegedly one of the victims of Pete Sutcliffe. Just, it'll happen. Just watch.
1: And do you think that it's being leaked out over such a long period of time to distract from those who are involved in nefarious activities such as those which you've described already at the moment. I mean, there's no way that the rabbit hole just ends with Jimmy Savile.
2: No, it's a, that's, that, that's how these black magicians work. By they make you think these things only happened in the past, So you watch a TV show about the Borgias in in Renaissance Italy or Caligula in ancient Rome or Nero, and you say to yourself, oh, Jesus, or, you know, Vlad the Impaler. Oh, wow, Jesus, I'm glad I don't live when those bookers were around. And this is to make you think that that shit doesn't happen today. And it does happen today. That's what they're like today. This is what they're up to. And uh, you think it doesn't end with the latest inquir- inquiry into child abuse in the Parliament? It's going on. It's, it'll always be going on. The killing of children by Catholic Church, like what we was exposed recently in Tune. that's still going on. It's just that they make you believe. They make you believe that it all takes place in the past, and that's the idea because the ones who are currently doing it get away with it. And then they, they sacrifice the the small players like Rolf Harris every now and again yeah. to make you think it's a big victory. But ultimately, they're trying desperately right now to protect the politicians on that list because they made a huge mistake here, and they know that this is actually – what could actually take down British power is the, it, it, the, the names on that list actually get out. So that's why they're desperately doing a cover-up at the moment. We live in a world and exist in societies that are far darker than anything in a, in a Dennis Wheatley novel. In fact, writers such as Dennis Wheatley, they've, they wrote books in the 50s and 60s such as The Devil Rides Out and to The Devil A Daughter that tell us exactly what was going on in British Stately Homes and remote Italian convents, nunneries. They just had to do it through f- fictional names. But he was an insider and he knew exactly what was going down.
1: And then again, that, there's that theme, I mean, of things been hidden in plain sight, us being told about exactly what's going on. And because it's worked into fiction or Hollywood or whatever it might be, well, then it can only be fiction. It can't be real. Yeah, I'm
2: telling this as a part of the magic. Like for your magic to work to get me on
1: your show, I had to
2: consent. So, therefore, if I, if, I, if I was consenting now to be on this show and then you had something and you decided to tear me apart, you couldn't say to me, I, I did it, but I did it against my will. Mm-hmm. I willingly chose to be on this show, and that's why they blow the whistle through books like Dennis Wheatley's books and all kinds of other things. There's all kinds of movies that blow the whistle and everything else. So can uh, and and they they'll often show us things or hint at things before they do them. Uh, Cameron is currently going on about viruses and Ebola and stuff like that, and that's how when it happens. They, this is how our sorcery works. This is how this black hexan paganism works. That you have to be told. This is why Dracula dr- dr- always knocks on the door and asks to be allowed in. He has to be invited in. The devil has to be invited in. Otherwise, you can't... You, 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 then you, you forfeited your right to, to saying, I was taken by surprise. No, you were brought in. This is why we all have to learn magic. We all have to learn wordplay. We all have to learn what they're doing because with neuro-linguistic programming. We have to learn these things because we're... The only thing that's making... Keeping them in power is our acquiescence to their to their. You know, their pathological drive and the, the best weapon we have against them is our refusal.
1: Absolutely. And it's a source of great frustration for me as somebody who studies the law um, in, in depth and have done for quite a number of years now, but choose not to practice it in terms of uh, the, the way the system would tell us we should practice it. I, I just I've decided many years ago to use the law to help myself and uh, to use it against the control system per se but that's a story for another day but the language of law is a very interesting thing because it's another example of spells and how they can be cast and how the language of law which is known as legalese can mean something completely different to the words that we use on an everyday basis for example the word understand most people would take that to mean comprehend whereas in legalese it means to stand under in other words to consent to something and I think it's another it's it's an everyday example of the magic that you're talking about that I think many people will possibly be able to relate to. And I think it ties in extremely well with what you've been speaking about for the last 15 or 20 minutes. And if people want to put that into practice themselves, consent comes in there again. For example, if everybody decided, huge issue, or certainly a huge issue coming up to the local elections here in Ireland, was water meters. There are smart meters being installed as we speak all over the country, against the will of 99.99% of the population. However... If that 99.99% of the population stood up and said, no, we don't consent to this. Well, there's very little that those looking to install the meters could do about it. And it comes back, I think, Thomas, to what we were talking about, uh, the distractions and the Orwell versus um, Aldous Huxley kind of, uh, you know, like, let's kill them with entertainment type attitude. So. Can you extend on that or expand on that a little bit in the context of magic and consent? Because you've spoken about what they both are, but how can people then turn those spells on their heads, break the spells, and use their own spells to not consent? Because everybody's terrified.
2: Yeah. Well, how this how legalese and mercantile law and all the all these other magic spells became into the world of bureaucracy was predominantly true people who were hired by royal courts in order to do it i'm talking about everyone from weistat in germany with the bavarian illuminati i'm talking about like christopher marlowe i'm talking about you know in the court of queen elizabeth john d that's how she actually survived she hired the court astrologer john d and his associate edward kelly in terms of people like Rudolf II of Bohemia and so on these people were the ones who incorporated they, they were using magic within the court system and then when society began changing more towards bureaucracy they then changed it into legalese language bureaucratic language mercantile law and all these other kinds of things and all but they still followed the same rules that were laid down by the court magicians in that consent had to be approved of or, cons- or consent or access had to be granted by the by the querent and so this this is where all that came from now how do people not do that well this you know we have various movements out there doing it uh, such as you know the people who are doing their own like freeman movement sovereigns and all these kinds of things I'm not fully convinced by a lot of that stuff but that's okay I'm, I encourage people to try anything they can do to fight their sovereignty go ahead but the main one is is to not engage in the system in the first place now, if you're in a relationship with a psychopathic person or you have a psychopathic boss or a psychopathic neighbor you don't engage with them you, you treat them like they don't exist and when you do that you find that it kind of dissipates their energy and they banish from you well the same thing is the system as well i mentioned earlier on that when you go down to city hall or go down the government buildings and you're protesting you're engaging with the system so you're actually inviting the politicians and the bureaucrats into your life to actually perform this these spells upon you but if you do not engage and you stay out of trouble it's brilliant. Now, what you said earlier on, it's a shame we didn't know this when we were teenagers because then or we could have opted out of the system right then. Yeah. But what happens is when you're in the system, when you get into it, it's very difficult to get out because then they know how to co- when they can come for you for this, that and the other. But uh, so it's, this is why we're really doing this for the next generation. We're really doing it for them. And so... You know, we're, we're explaining to them: look, don't fall into the traps that we fell into when we were young. You know, don't you know, don't get credit cards if you can help it. Don't get into mailing lists. All kinds of things. And uh, you know, my attitude with the law is: I'm a law-abiding. I'm a law-abiding citizen in the sense that I, I don't want to get in trouble because I don't want to, to even engage with them. If a cop or a policeman approaches me about something, I'm very polite. I'm very polite, and I I try to keep my head my lead my head down in that kind of behavioral sense because I know how fucking powerful they are it's like uh, you, this is the thing you, you know this is why I, I worry for a lot of these people who call themselves Freemans you know going around Black Law's Dictionary and taking on the system they have no idea how dangerous the court is there and they're, they're, they call it a court for a bloody reason it's a game and when you enter into their magic circle you the power that's against you is phenomenal and there's so many people think, oh, I'm going to go down to the courthouse, you know, or I'm going to go down with Black Law Dictionary, and I'm going to say, eh. oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Let's let's see how you how long you last mm. in, in that. You know, when you're in that in that den in that pit of lions. So you have to be very careful. You do these things piecemeal, and you don't make a hero of yourself, and you don't bring attention to yourself in that way. That's how you do it. And then losing your fear is an important one as well. That's a big one. And you have to sort of like. Getting rid of the TV and not reading the newspaper, stage one of that. that get, get rid of that bloody TV. Don't watch it. Get off the sky signal. Just pull your aerial or your satellite dish off your wall or digital transmitter, whatever the heck it is now, and get get away from that. And don't buy newspapers. And that's the end of it. And then you're really down on your path to freedom because you're not being hit by these sigils and these magical spells 24-7. That's destroying your consciousness. And, you know – it's got to the point now where I'm so I've been so free of it that to me when I hear something like a radio debate show here in Ireland like Pat Kenny or or any of them Joe Duffy I, I I'm not I don't even understand what I'm actually hearing or, or, or I, it's it's completely nonsensical to me and I see how how funny it all is and then you learn to laugh at the absurdity of it and then when you laugh at the absurdity my god is that a f- is that freedom that's why i'm a big proponent of comedy and satire because that's the most powerful magic of all the thing is to not be afraid but don't don't be a hero don't be a fool and run out there and destroy your life by trying to say i'm going to take on a control grid as a freeman or all this kind of thing don't do it just be be stealth be like be like a ninja.
1: Absolutely. Very, very good advice there indeed, I think, because uh, it, it can be, a, as you say, a very, very dangerous and lonely and potentially, I suppose, a path that can end in ruination for a lot of people. And all we have to do is look around us in Ireland and around the world, but particularly in Ireland, we're both Irish and we're speaking from Ireland at the moment. And I mean, it is a country in ribbons, despite what people might say when they switch on the news and regurgitate what the latest government figures have said and we're on the road to recovery and this, that and the other. The the only road to recovery as far as I'm concerned is the road to personal recovery and it's what I choose to do for myself and the people around me. You mentioned a couple of practical examples earlier on such as starting a garden, turning off the TV, not listening to the news, those kind of things. They're, They're so empowering. They're such positive things. You free up time, you free up energy and you allow yourself then to choose your own path, as opposed to a number of preordained paths that have been set out, let's face it, since the time we were knee-high to a grasshopper. I always remember um, being in school and getting career guidance, heavy use of inverted commas there, and being told, right, here's what you should do, John, because here's what you are good at. I remember sitting there and saying to the career guidance teacher, well, I don't want to do those things. I don't care if I'm good at them. I don't want to do them. I'd be utterly bored and as a result, I'm not going to do them. And of course, that resulted in detentions and visits to the headmaster for being insubordinate and cheeky and this, this, that and the other. But I mean, the minute I broke free of the education system, I did exactly what it is I wanted to do and I've continued to do that. And despite so many naysayers saying to me, well, you're not going to make enough money to get by and you won't be able to do this, that and the other, I've been able to do everything I've wanted to do. And I think the minute you detach yourself from something, money being a good example or... Um, A belief system is another one and money is just a belief system. But the minute you detach yourself, that freedom allows you to gain whatever it is you need to gain to get by. And how much do we actually need? I mean, that's for each individual to decide themselves. But freedom is a word that has been completely bastardized to my mind. And people equate it with uh, the, (laughs) the Obama administration, for example, and all these things that are the opposite to freedom. Again, we spoke about Russell Brand at length. Russell Brand isn't espousing freedom. He's espousing the exact opposite. Only we can decide to be free and make that choice for ourselves and do something about it for ourselves. And then if there are enough of us, that's when the tipping point is point is reached and a society can change, I think.
2: That's absolutely 100% true. I, I, I'm not affected by the Irish recession because I wasn't affected by the Irish boom. Well, I, I was living the frugal, the frugal lifestyle back then that I do now. I didn't do stupid things like, you know, get a deck or take out a massive loan. I didn't do anything crazy like that or, you know, drinking bottles of expensive wine every night or going out to eat in a posh restaurant. I didn't know that stuff. I, I live the same way then as I do now. I'm recession-proof for that reason. didn't affect me, and I found I, I found a way to survive and live, even though I'm poor, but I'm, I'm definitely not go- going to be calling up the bloody radio shows begging for some politician to save me, and people <laughs> have to learn to be like that. That's how you are. You, you, you don't. You don't have to play their game. And once you don't play their game, my God, is a tremendous freedom in it, like you said. And that's how you do it. I, I'm not, I don't care what the government speeches are. I don't care what the the, the the unemployment rate is. I mean, I don't care. I'm not interested because it doesn't affect me because I, I'm outside that magic circle. I'm doing my own thing and I'm in my own world. And uh, that's the end of it. Does that mean I'm selfish and I don't care about people who are suffering? It bloody does well not. I actually do care about the people who are suffering. But I don't want to actually go down there to government buildings and help them protest to get themselves into more government stuff. I want to help those people walk that first step to the road to salvation by realizing that they don't need the government.
1: Exactly. Why would we go to the same people who have caused the problem to look for the solution? It's the whole he- Hegelian dialectic, which is, I mean, it's epidemic in Western society, certainly at the moment. I mean, it's, it's another form of false flag. Yeah, well, like I get
2: so many people here in this island and we're still, unfortunately, in a scene here, we're still in Ireland. So many people are still caught up in the idea of protesting and all that. And I get so many people saying, oh, Thomas, you're so well known. Why don't you come down to us to this government building at that group this protest or that protest? You never do anything like that in Ireland. And that's because I say, because, firstly, it achieves nothing. And secondly, uh, there's nothing I want from those bastards. That's the end of it.
1: Exactly. We spoke about water meters a little bit earlier on. And my approach to that... Was slightly different. I, I'm, I'm based in Carlow, which is near Dublin. And at the moment, there's all kinds of chaos, to use that word again, going on in various different housing estates. And there are pitched battles with the Gardaí as yeah. the, the Irish water installers try to install the meters. And people, to my mind, rightly don't want them installed. But I totally disagree with the, some of the methods being used. I mean, I decided a long time ago there was nobody going to install a water meter. So when they came around to my house, I simply politely declined. And I think because of the approach that I used and I treated the people who had come to do their job with respect, they left me alone and they really did. They left me alone. They skipped my house and moved on to the next one. And I think that's the approach that people need to think because protesting doesn't get anybody anywhere. I looked at at some of the... uh, some of the media surrounding what's going on in, li- in my locality, the local media over the last couple of days. And basically the locals have been turned against the protesters by the media because of the met- methods that they've used. And again, there's that spell that the media casts over people. Mm-hmm. So while everybody might agree in principle that they don't want the water meters installed by and large, because of the methods and the way that they are that 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 spell is then cast on everybody else they actually end up supporting the very people who are the ones enslaving them to use that term and to, to, to maybe misuse the term so i think approach has a huge amount to do with it and i really agree with your attitude and the decisions that you make to just step outside of it don't look to the very same people who are causing a problem to solve it for you because by god they're not going to do it is it in their interests of course not it stands to reason that they're going to do the opposite
2: yeah, you're only going to prolong the, prolong the defeat. Exactly. And, uh, you, know, you know, my attitude is I don't have a – they haven't put a water meter on my my plate my gaff yet. If it, hap- it doesn't matter if it happens or not. I just bought a, uh, a rainwater tank, which I'm putting on the roof, and I'm going to start collecting rainwater and using it for non-drinking water, so for my electric shower, my washing machine and that kind of thing, and all that kind of water. So immediately, that's not going to cost me any. That's going to be nature. I live in the west of Ireland where it pisses rain all the time. <laughs> there we go, anarchy. I'll just take it from the sky. And uh, that I'm, I'm handy with DIY, and lots of people are. You don't know anybody. You, cannot, you don't know how to do it. You can learn it yourself. But mm. that's what I'm going to do. And if I end up paying water charges to the water meter, they'll be significantly lower because I'll be collecting water from the sky.
1: Exactly, there's that self-empowerment in action. Um, There's something I wanted to touch on, Thomas, which I've heard you speak about in the past, and it's something that I've noticed for many years now, but it seems to be really ramped up in the last kind of 12 months. And that's the war between men and women. Again, we're going back to the media. This this media-created divide between men and women. It's reached epidemic proportions, to my mind. I mean, you turn on the TV and you see this, this... Imagery which describes a man as being stupid and a woman as being bitchy. And you, you have all these stereotypes and all these... I don't even know what to call them at times, but they're just complete nonsense. But what I have noticed running alongside this is that they... This, again, this spell seems to be working. There are so many people. You, you see the, the rise of this ridiculous feminist movement. And I, that's not to say that I'm against... Um, women and them being, having parity with men and this kind of thing. Do you know what I mean? It, it's, we, we are different inherently and there are many differences between us that should be acknowledged as opposed to being brushed under the carpet. And I'm not for any of these kind of movements, but why do you think that the media is espousing this battle or this war between men and women and why are they doing it so overtly at the moment?
2: To destroy the family because the family and the bond, the the bond between a man and a woman is as powerful as between a you know, a, good, a proper bond between a man and a woman, a healthy bond between a man and a woman, is as powerful as the bond between a mother and her child. Mm. And they're terrified of it. And that's why they've always sought to destroy it. Why do you think when the people got off the trains... The deportation trains at the at the Nazi camps, the first thing they did was they sent the women one way and the men the other way. That was so easy to break up the bond between families and the kids another way. And that was what that was all about. They're destroying them. They, if, the woman, if the woman has no man to protect them, what happens is, and it's it's been scientifically shown by true people like Milgram and stuff, that the woman starts to see the state or the, or the authority figure as the new father. That's been known for a very long time. And the man because he has no one to protect, his soul is broken, and he actually submits to his uh, his oppressors. And that's what they're doing. They're smashing the family up because the family is the thing that stands and is the, the thing that stands in front of the the psychopathic control grid. And that's why they're giving these feminists so much power over men. It's not really a. It's you know people say oh it's a war against men. No, it's a war against humans. And the man is the is the the man. In the family is the is the one that they're weak, that are the link that they're smashing the first, and they're using feminism and everything like divorce laws and all kinds of things to dis- and custody laws over children to destroy that bond, and that's why they're doing it. They don't care about women. They never did in the past, you know. They never will and care in the future. They're just using women as a as a useful tool right now to push through their objectives, and that's all. That's
1: about. So much of it comes back to what you talk about when you speak of psychopaths and psychopathy. I don't know. There's there's an endorsement of the psychopathic mind frame, I think, that runs yeah. in parallel with this uh, this attempted divide or schism. And again, that's something I would like to touch on with you because it's becoming that there's a normalization of psychopathy that seems to be happening as well right now. And again, you, you look at, for example, TED Talks and these kind of things, and you've you've quite a number of high profile authors and they're speaking about psychopathy as if it's a good thing or it's a tool that we can use to get what we want. Yeah, fine. We might be able to get what we want using it, but that doesn't make it a good thing. So what are your thoughts on that, Thomas? Well,
2: in Orwell's 1984, there's a a pivotal passage in it where Julia, who's pretending to be a member of the junior anti-sex league, uh, which is a group devoted to the destruction of the orgasm, the removal of the orgasm from society. Now, she explains to Winston Smith the reason, the purpose of the anti-sex league. She said when a man and a woman are in love or they're making love, they haven't a care in the world. And they're they not interested in governments, they're not interested in war, they're not interested in inflation. They're so happy. And the purpose of the anti-sex league was to destroy that. And what happens is when sex the sex instinct was damaged it turns people crazy. This is why people in cults go crazy because the cult leader tells them they can't have sex. And so they become fanatical. And what the sex instinct the sex instinct and the sex energy is so bloody powerful that this is what all the marching is about, all the all the all the protesting about all the anger is about because they're not having that sexual energy. That you know, the Villem Wright kind of idea of the sexual release. It's so important. And the and the loving release. And so it gets transferred into something hateful. A cult leader will use the the repression of the sex, uh, the sex instinct, in order to uh, make their, their their people more greater fanatics, like they do in radical Islam and, other cult- and, and sort of flying saucer dead cults. In the political sense, they be, they turn them into radical lesbian feminists and so on. They're not getting they're not getting the sexual release, and she called it sex turned sour. And this is what a psychopath does in a relationship. When they get a person where they want them and they finally have them, they start denying them sex. They deny them sex because they, in order to control them. And that's what's happening in the, the, in the, the con- psychopathic control grid. On one hand, we're surrounded by endless pornography, You know, that's like everywhere and all kinds of sexualization of of humanity. At the same time, we have feminists who will say a a man is a rapist for looking at her funny and that Mm. kind of rubbish. Mm. So this is is psychopathic. Now, creating – this is called gaslighting. Gaslighting is when you change reality in order to – for a psychopath changes reality in order to control their victim. That's that's what gaslighting is. It's a clinical psychology term. And that's what's happening with the whole world at the moment. We're being gaslighted constantly by the psychopathic control grid. Now, when I first started writing the two – when I first – my first book on puzzling people – my first book on Psychopaths, Puzzling People, it hit the ground running and became a, a quite a minor sensation in a very short time and gave me a, a very good profile in the alternative movement almost overnight. And that's because the message was so powerful, because it gave people a full understanding of what we're up against and what they started to make sense, both in their personal life and on you know, the global and the government and everything else. And that, 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 that happened. And... I predicted in my second book that there was now such an interest in psychopathology, particularly in the corridors of power, that they would actually now try to normalize it. They would try to normalize psychopathy. And sure enough, literally on the eve of that book being – no, so literally right after that book was released, you had people like Professor Kevin Dutton, John Ronson, Professor James Farrell, Farrell. writing books and doing talks and giving concerts and getting TV specials on Channel 4, for Christ's sake, on how being a psychopath is really a great thing. It's really a great thing because without psychopaths, we wouldn't have a great the society we have. They're the ones who defeated the Nazis. They're the ones who, who will defeat Al-Qaeda, blah, 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 blah. These are the ones who, who make the deals and business that keep the food on our table and all this. All the positive attributes of psychopathy, Never not the negatives. And a lot of this comes again like the Russell Brand thing, out of the Cambridge Unicef- Political Science University research programs. And so th- they did it. They ex- word for word, exactly as I had predicted it, they did it. They, norm- they, norm- they began to normalize psychopathy, and it's not really working, but they tried to do it. There was an author on, a person called M.E. Thomas, who wrote a book called Confessions of a Psychopath, a Sociopath, and she was on the Dr. Phil show. last year, and she was quoting verbatim from my work, verbatim, word for word, and it turns out she wasn't really a sociopath or a psychopath, she was an actress who had been hired to give a fake name to write books on normalizing it, and the name she chose, everyone tells me, was a pawn at me, me, Thomas. Emmy Thomas. Emmy Thomas, like, yeah. <laughs> M.E. Thomas, yeah. Almost to have a laugh at me, and the fact that she was she was quoting from me, and the book that was a big release on a mainstream publisher was in all the shops. They took it over, they co-opted it, and they're using it for themselves. And I knew it would happen, but unfortunately there's enough people out there woken up, know you don't like the term I don't either, but enough people out there in the alternative and the other community movement and also people have been damaged by psychopaths who are saying no we're not putting up with this so they're having a hard time fighting with this one but they're still you know they're still not doing everything to try and normalizing it it's not on the trivializing it as well and it's not working because so many people are pointing out like jimmy savile you know how could jimmy how could christopher yeah you know, kevin dutton sit there boasting about how great psychopaths are when you had someone like jimmy savile and so on like that so it's a uh, they're, they're having. We got them on. We got them. See, we should take this as compliments. People say to me, "Thomas, are you not upset that John Ronson and the rest of them Dutton all basically co-opted your work and put you out of business." And I said, "No, I'm delighted because we 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 got them running again. We we had them on the run, and we, it shows how de- how you know how how rattled and scared we can get. Make them very easily, and so." Uh, they're going they're ne- that's what that's what that's up that, that's what happened there with that thing but it's not really flying I'm still you know getting a lot of interest in it I think everyone talks about psychopaths now when I came when I started using the term back in 2011 and people, mm-hmm. people came out. no one was using it now everyone is using it and mm-hmm. that's great it's now uh, where we now have a, a word to use against them and, and a scientific uh, understanding that we can point that to them and say ah there you are Tony Blair here's what you are that's what you are and so it's a powerful weapon but they did they did try and co-opt it but it's not working
1: yeah and it, it is a powerful weapon I remember when we spoke first which is almost two years ago on this show not many people from my immediate peer group would have necessarily understood the term psychopath I mean it was always Alfred Hitchcock's psycho in the shower is yeah. what the term meant to them whereas fast forward now two years and I have friends of mine who will actively remove people from their lives because they see them as psychopaths and that I mean that's what you spoke about I mean my first real exposure to it was through the work that you were doing and you spoke about that and it's amazing just to see how that has actually infiltrated into the conscious minds of people as opposed to the subconscious and how people are now using the tools that you kind of first brought to light in an active and a proactive way to improve their lives and I know I certainly took the advice that you gave me back then with regard to a particular individual who was taking up a huge amount of my life, both working and otherwise, and, quite frankly, removed him from the picture overnight. And... It's amazing how that freed up my positive energy and allowed me to do things. And it was only after I did that that I realized the power of a psychopath and what they can actually do in terms of draining everything around you, whether it's aura or energy, or whatever term people want to use, they're they're free to use their own terms. But it's just amazing that power. And when you get that power back, you can use it for yourself and in a positive way. And I have to say, if more and more people are exposed to the work that you've done, whether it's through Emmy Thomas or John Ronson or anybody else, well, it's a good thing because a lot of people seem to be able to disseminate that disseminate that information for themselves, in my experience, and use it properly as it should be used. So it's credit to you and the work that you're doing that that's happening, I think.
2: Well, thanks very much for that, John. It's, uh, it's, it's white magic. We, we, we're creating white magic here. You're creating white magic on your show. I created white magic with the psychopath thing. And uh, we we we, we can, it just it gives it just give us a lot of encouragement, and I, I love when I hear people saying to me, "Oh, I had this business partner or this ex husband that was like I got rid of them because of your work, and I now have all the energy to be creative and enjoy my life." And I, I love when I hear that. So thank you for that, and it's proof that like a nobody like me, a guy from Ballymun, can actually write a a book, uh, you know, that's uh, put it out there and it can change It can change a lot of people's lives. And I'm not special. I'm not the greatest. I'm not someone special, but I can tell you if I can do it, anyone can do it. So everyone else needs to get out there and start doing this stuff themselves.
1: Absolutely. I couldn't agree more. And tell us about the books and your website and stuff like that as well, Thomas, so people can find out more for themselves.
2: My website is thomasheridanarts.com. My books are puzzling people. Defeat the demons, the Anvil of the Psyche, and the new book *Valpurgis Night*. They're all available through my web sh- my website. There's a little button up there that says Bookshop, and they're also available on Amazon. And you can get them at any bookshop as well. You don't have them in stock. You can often order them. So it's like they're they're out there. They're easy to get. I tried to keep the prices down as much as possible so they're accessible to everyone. And that's just basically it. And I'll continue doing that. I'll continue. Uh, writing i love being i love writing i love art i love music and i love creativity and i love comedy and i'll just continue to do that and and i I, you know it's i think i'm living proof that you can transcend the control grid to the point where you can actually make a difference in other people's lives and let's all do it together let's all be consciousness insurgents and do our own thing to help the world become a better place
1: inspiring stuff I have the power you have the power we have the power Thomas Sheridan let's not leave it so long the next time it's been fantastic speaking to you thank you for joining me on Alchemy Radio today
2: thanks very much John all the best to you and your listeners Alchemy Radio Alchemy Radio
1: If you've enjoyed this week's episode of Alchemy Radio, remember we rely on donations to keep the show in its current free and ad-free format and are very grateful for any help you can offer. We put no fixed cost on your donations and every little helps, so for example if you could spare as much as the price of a cup of coffee every month, it would go a very long way towards keeping us afloat. Our donate button is on the website and your support and assistance is greatly appreciated. Thank you indeed to everyone for your recent help and support. We couldn't do it without you. Until next time, I have the power, you have the power, we have the power. Alchemy Radio. Alchemy Radio. Analyze.